Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. I hope you understand that the historic happenings that are going on in the US Capitol today we we have i think for the first time for the first time in history you have the second effort at impeachment of a of a single president i i was i've been thinking about this i have to tell you after after last year and the failed impeachment effort of president trump i sort of put in the back of my mind that for for my radio career, that's pretty much it. You're, you're not going to see any more impeachments. I mean, I, I remember I started, matter of fact, I was here at WTMJ doing this show during the, the impeachment of Bill Clinton. That was in December of 1998. And if you might, if you will recall, he was, he was impeached by the House of Representatives on charges of perjury and obstruction of justice. That was in, in December of 1998. And that, that's when, I mean, I've been doing talk radio at other places, but I, I, I just, I really just started the show full time. I mean, you, you start the full time show here, and all of a sudden you're dealing with the impeachment of a president. He was ultimately acquitted um, in in February of 1999. Um, again, in the Senate, you need a two thirds vote to convict, and um, he was acquitted on both the perjury and the obstruction of justice charges. Then, of course, you had the situation um, a year ago involving President Trump, who December 18th of 2019, he was impeached. Um, the allegations were abuse of power and obstruction of justice. He was acquitted in February of this year on, on both of those charges. So I, I kind of decided and I thought, OK, that, that that's it. We're certainly... In the foreseeable future, there, there's not going to be any more acts of impeachment, and and now that is not the case. You have, unlike unlike the Clinton impeachment and unlike the first Trump impeachment effort, that were were drawn out proceedings. There were there were there were there were hearings that were conducted. There was fact finding. There was a lot of debate over the articles of impeachment and things of the like. This one. This one is on the the absolute fast track. I mean, keep in mind, it was a week ago today that you had the insurrection at the Capitol. And and here we are one week later, and there's already they're having the arguments on impeachment. And we're being told that the actual vote is going to occur sometime between 2 and 2.30 our time. And we'll, of course, be dipping into that coverage as well. Uh, in a little bit, I, I do, and I understand we, we've discussed the possibility of of impeachment in a couple different contexts over the course of the last couple days. And I understand that there's some people who say, well, we don't want to talk about this anymore. We want to talk about other stuff. Well, this is historic, and we will be discussing the ramifications of impeachment in just a little bit. And like I say, if you want to talk about something other than that, well, that, that that's fine. There will be time for that later on. But today there's going to be a lot of attention on what is going on in Washington, D.C., because, again, it, it's it's historic and there's so many different avenues of it. I want to start, though, by talking about something beyond the, the impeachment, because here, here's the deal. Regardless of what the House of Representatives does today and the smart money says there will be a vote, it only takes 
It only takes, you know, 50% plus one to impeach. Now, then the matter goes to the Senate where there is the trial and the Senate decides whether they convict or, or not. Like I say, in the case of Bill Clinton, he was, there was not sufficient votes to convict him. In the case of Donald Trump, there was not sufficient votes to uh, convict him either. What, how that all plays out, you know, who knows? But regardless of what happens with impeachment, President Trump's term ends in a week. I mean, a week from today, we're going to be talking about the inauguration of Joe Biden. That's going to happen regardless of what the House does today, regardless of whether the Senate acts over the course of the next week or not. But for the moment, President Trump is the president. And again, the smart money suggests that nothing is going to be done to remove him from office before next Wednesday. That means he still has a lot of power and a lot of different things that he can do. And one of the things that is being debated and discussed is whether or not President Trump, who has used his pardon power to bail out a lot of friends, associates, cronies, you know, you can use whatever word you you want, whether or not in the last week he will use his pardon power to issue blanket pardons for his family members, for some of the people who have been around him closest, like the Rudy Giuliani's of the world, and a lot of discussion about whether or not he will take what would be an unprecedented step and attempt to issue a self-pardon. It's never been done before. Some legal scholars think you can't do it. Some say, well, no, you, you probably can our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Can and should President Trump make broad use of the pardon power, including pardoning himself? Now, you can only pardon yourself for federal crimes, not not state crimes. So that doesn't do anything to you know deal with like problems you might have with the Manhattan District Attorney's Office on taxes. But you can issue a pardon which, for example, if you were concerned that you might be subject to federal criminal charges for inciting a riot or insurrection, you could clearly issue a pardon. Should Trump pardon himself? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I think it would be disastrous. But what do you think? We discuss in just a moment. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Apart from the issue of impeachment, and of course that's going on in the House of Representatives right now, as long as President Trump is president, he has the ability to issue pardons. He could pardon members of his family for any potential federal offenses. He could, if he chose, he could issue pardons to all the people who engaged in the insurrection at the Capitol. Now, I, I haven't heard anybody seriously talk about that, and I hope nobody would consider it. But he could also, theoretically, issue a self-pardon. Now, we, it's never been done before, so you're in an uncharted legal area. All right, but apparently President Trump is, at least according to a number of stories I'm looking at, seriously considering that. What would be the effect if he were to try to do that? 855-616-1620. Let's start with Gianni in Montello. Hello. Hello, Jeff. Uh, Timely topic. Hey, no, I I think that uh, President Trump should do as much pardoning as as presidentially possible in the next week, uh, including himself and his family. 
I think that why break precedent? And let's let's remember, Jeff, that a significant number number of Americans voted for this guy. They love him. He's a demigod. Um, if, if if there were uh, uh, you know if there were three hundred acres down in Guyana, they would follow him. Okay, so, but t- um, so, so yeah, tell me, but tell should... me why you think he should do that. Do you think it'd be good for the country? Good for him? Um, what what? Why why should he make that decision to to do that? Uh, he should make that decision, Jeff. Uh, I, I think, I hope he makes that decision, because uh, the more damage he can do to the Trump brand, the better. Okay, I mean, well, it thank, okay, I get it. Well, thank, I, I see what you're, you're saying, that if, if he does that, he will, the people that hate him will continue to hate him, it will make him hate him even more. I, and I understand, by the way, Gianni, that some people disagree with me. I, I think the Trump brand is irreparably damaged. I, I think, I, I didn't feel that way, after the election in November, 70 million people voted for the president. His behavior since the election, the re- refusal to accept the accept the results, and then, and we're going to talk about this later on, his, his complete, in my opinion, cluelessness with regard to his role in you know what happened last week. I, I think the Trump brand is just irreparably damaged. Now, I understand there's some people who are still supporters of his, but th- th- there's not that many, I-, I think, moving forward. And I think that I think that 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 will drift away, maybe not today or maybe not tomorrow. I, I do agree that if he were to pardon himself, he, what he would be trying to present himself as is I, I'm, I'm a martyr um, and and these the people are out there to get me. And this is the way to protect myself. Here, here's what I think happens as a practical matter. If he were to try to do that, I think he pretty much guarantees that there will be that this issue will be litigated and and the way the most direct way that you litigate this is by bringing criminal charges against him testing whether or not he has the power to pardon himself i i i don't know how a court will rule on something like that and like i said there's really smart people on both sides of the issue who who have opinions on this i would hope that a president cannot pardon himself because if, if you allow a president to pardon himself what that does is it sets him up. I mean, we, we really are saying that our, our presidents are kings. Now, I, I, if you're a regular listener to the program, you know that I, I've cringed about the use of presidential pardons or gubernatorial pardons over the, all the time that I've been on the radio. It, it just, to, to me, as somebody who, who, you know, worked in the criminal justice system, it seems to me that giving an executive, whether it's a governor, Scott Walker, Jim Doyle, Tony Evers, Tommy Thompson, the ability to absolve people of the consequences of their criminal behavior, or I, I think that's, that that troubles me. I've been very troubled by the way that presidents have used the pardon power in the past, whether it's Bill Clinton, you know, pardoning fugitive financier Mark Rich, some of the pardons that Obama issued, and of course a lot of the pardons that, that Donald Trump has, has issued to some of his cronies. You can use the word henchmen if you want. I, I especially bypassing the typical pardon procedures. So I, I'm not a fan of presidential or gubernatorial pardons to begin with, but they are a matter of, of that's in the Constitution. Doing it to yourself, though, strikes me as incredibly wrong. Let's talk to Gordon. Gordon, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, good morning. Good afternoon, Jeff. Yeah, it's absolutely uh, no way that he should ever do that. It's a ridiculous question, and 
it's just it's just a crazy. He's got, he has to be convicted of a crime first, and there's no evidence that he's he's been convicted of a crime. Well, wait, wait, let me stop. No, he doesn't. Have, wait, he he doesn't have to be convicted of a crime. You can issue a blanket pardon. Um, Gerald Ford pardoned Richard Nixon, and and for and Nixon hadn't been charged with any crimes. Yeah. 100% correct, and, but I guess my big thing is, is is that if the Democrats want to put him on trial and and produce all the evidence, then let's do it because uh, we we need to get all the evidence out. The Democrats are afraid of the evidence, so let's bring it out. Okay, well, thank, thank. I mean, again, I think it's you know, as a matter of fact, a number of people are asking the same question Gordon just did, saying, "Well, you know, how how can you pardon yourself for something you haven't been convicted of?" No, that's that you you can issue preemptive pardons. Um, the the classic example is Gerald Ford pardoning Richard Nixon, but you know, you you've had this. Um, Mark Rich, the, who is the fugitive financier that Bill Clinton pardoned, um, he 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 was on the run. He hadn't been convicted. He'd been charged, and, and they issued a blanket pardon, saying we're, we're giving you that absolution. That is how broad the pardon power is. I just think, as a matter of constitutional law, that that presidents should not be allowed to pardon themselves. Now, I have no doubt, and, and maybe I'll be proven wrong on this, but my guess is, before President Trump goes out the door, there will definitely be pardons of family members and close associates and things like that. And the argument that's going to be made is, well, there's this witch hunt that's out there, and they're, I'm trying to protect my family members because they might be criminally charged only because they were family members of mine. I, I guess it kind of depends on what the charges are that are out there. But to issue a blanket pardon in the case of the president, I, I think would be, I mean, it would cement his legacy, that's for sure. Um, but but I think it would also pretty much guarantee that you're going to have, you know, criminal charges that are brought. Okay, I'm 855-616-1620. Uh, here's some text. Jeff, the caller said Democrats are afraid of evidence. Republicans wouldn't even hear it last time. Where did that come from? Um, Jeff, I think more people still support the president than you think. I'm not one of them, but from what I hear from family members and friends, they are still unwavering fans. They don't like his rants. They say if he would have just kept his mouth shut, everybody would still love him. Well, I, I, look, I, I've said this before. I think that the president sealed his legacy after the election by his failure to accept defeat in a gracious fashion. I, I mean, I think I, I'm, I'm so disappointed with the way he behaved. Now, some people would say, well, Jeff, well, this was just inevitable. This was going to happen. And, and, and maybe there's a valid point to that. But I, I think the president had a lot of opportunities after after November 5th to ha- have continued allowed him to continue as a significant viable force in politics Uh, i think a lot of that most of that almost all of that went out the window by over the course of the last couple weeks Um, 855-616-1620 jeff doesn't the trump self-pardoning scenario create a scenario where any president would have the freedom to commit any crime they want and then pardon themselves yeah, it does. And that's why that's why to me it, it is such a scary prospect. Again, I don't know what the Supreme Court which would ultimately decide this. I don't know how they're gonna come down on this. I I've been sort of fascinated with it and there's there there's there's different theories that are out there. But yeah, that's that's what the scenario is. The scenario is setting up a president. If you allow a president to self pardon, you are essentially saying, Okay, you're you're the king. You can do whatever you want. While you're in office, 
Now, the, the ability to pardon, of course, ends after you're, you leave office. But you could do whatever you want. You could commit whatever crimes you wanted, and you could avoid criminal responsibility. Now, you could be removed from office through impeachment and all, but that, the, I guess the Constitution can't mean that. <laughs> it just, it would seem to me, just on a fundamental, basic level, the Constitution can't mean that. Can it? All right. We continue in just a couple moments. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Again, the impeachment debate is going on right now. Uh, The projections are within the next 90 minutes or so, uh, not letting any sort of grass grow under anybody's feet. Um, the House of Representatives is going to, in an unprecedented move, move to impeach a president and probably impeach a sitting president for the second time. Um, that That's never happened before in American history. The, the update is he is not going to be removed from office because what's going to happen is even if he's impeached in the House of Representatives, and most likely he will be, uh, Mitch McConnell, who still runs the Senate, has already said he has no intention of bringing the Senate's out of session now, so they would have to be brought back. They would have to schedule the trial. There are due process issues, so you'd have to give the president an opportunity for his lawyers to defend themselves. I, I would presume that you'd have to do it that way. In any event, Mitch McConnell has been very, very clear. He's not going to bring the Senate back into session. What that will mean is that there, there can be an impeachment proceeding, but it won't happen at a trial, but it will not happen until after Joe Biden has taken over as the president. That's the, the practical effect of what's going on. And in about 30 minutes or so, we're going to talk about, given the fact that that's going to be the case, does it make any sense to go ahead with a trial in the Senate? But we, we'll discuss that then. I want to double back on something that, that happened yesterday that I, I admit surprised me a little bit, and, and perhaps it shouldn't have. Um, the, the strategy of President Trump pretty much even when, when he was a businessman, ha- has been full speed ahead. When you're wrong, be strong. Never admit that you did anything wrong. Just attack, attack, attack. That That's that's the strategy that he, he pretty much used in, in building his, his business. That's the strategy that he's pretty much used in, in life. And, and that's the strategy that he used when he was running for office. You know, the, the, the whole idea of attack, attack, attack. He loses the Iowa caucus to Ted Cruz. And, and now he didn't lose the caucus. It was stolen from him by Ted Cruz. Um, you, you get, you get policy disputes that are put up by some of his opponents, and his result is just, just to attack them. This is sleepy such and such. You know, this is dumb so and so. You know, that, that's been the attack. And, and all during the presidency, you, you've seen that play out, that there's never been an acknowledgement that, okay, maybe I handled this wrong. Now, I, I don't know about you, but I, I make mistakes all the time. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, you, you, you use your best judgment that you can in trying to figure out what's right and wrong. And, and you, you do the best stuff. You, you go into it with good faith. But sometimes stuff doesn't actually work out the way you intended it. And for most of us, when stuff doesn't work out, our 
even if we didn't intend there to be a particular result, most of us are able to sit back and acknowledge, okay, this didn't work out right. I, I wish I hadn't done this this way. I shouldn't have said this. I, I should have backed off. All right, so after the election, President Trump has launched the, this lengthy campaign to try to delegitimize the election results. It was stolen. I won in a landslide, et cetera, et cetera, for which there's there's no evidence of of that. But that's that's been the approach. I'm going to try to rally my base of support. I'm going to try to convince them that this was this election was stolen from me. And my question was always to to what end? I figured, okay, maybe he's trying to make himself a martyr. Maybe he's trying to continue to be a, a viable force and say, okay, well, I, I 70 million people voted for me. If I can convince the majority of them that the election was wrongfully stolen from me, I will be in a position to be a big mover and shaker over the next couple of years. I, Maybe that was was the 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 end game, but clearly this got out of control. And last week you had the the giant rally that was held. You had the president there. You had the president inciting the crowd. We're going to do this march. You had the president whipping up this crowd. And it's true that the president did not say, okay, what I want you to do now is storm the Capitol, break the windows, attack the guards, sit in Nancy Pelosi's office. Okay, he did not say that. But clearly, his remarks and the remarks of, like, the, the son, Donald Trump Jr., there's not a Republican Party, it's a Donald Trump Republican Party, they were intended, if not to incite a riot, let's put that one aside, but they were clearly intended to incite, to whip the crowd into a frenzy, and, and they did. They, they contributed to what happened. And I'm not saying they should necessarily be legally responsible for that. That's a whole different question. But if you look at what happened, and you look at the president's remarks and his conduct last Wednesday, and a lot of the stuff that he was saying beforehand, you would think that maybe he'd take a step back and say, well, I never told people to break into the Capitol and, and break windows and attack cops. But clearly the president's remarks inflamed those and fed into the people who, who believe that the election was falsely stolen. Now, I have been waiting for a week for the president to come out and acknowledge that the remarks he made were not helpful. And, and you know, you, you don't have to say, I was wrong. You don't have to say I incited a riot. But given what happened, I would have thought that you would come out and say, you know, th- this is this is not something that was ever intended. I'm really sorry that people took it this way. I regret not intervening earlier. As soon as this started happening, I should have gone on TV right away and said, stop it. Get off the steps of the Capitol. Get out of the Capitol. I, I, I thought the president might say something like that, maybe not that directly, but some degree of contrition. You know, instead, yesterday, he makes his appearance, and he he, he says, no, I, I did absolutely nothing wrong. Um, he said, look, people thought what I said was totally appropriate. People thought what I said was totally appropriate. I'm not sure who those people were. If you look at what other people have said, politicians at high levels about the riots during the summer, the horrible riots in Portland, Seattle, and various other places, that was a real problem when they said, but they've analyzed my speech. I don't know, again, who the uh, they is. They've analyzed my speech and words and my final paragraph, my final sentence, and everybody to the T thought it was totally appropriate. So no contrition, no apology, 
defiance and, and no recognition that whatever his intent might have been, and I guess we, we don't know, was he really intending to whip the crowd into a frenzy? Is this what he really wanted to do, which was try to put pressure on Republican lawmakers to n- not not allow the electoral votes to be counted? But but even if that wasn't his intent, and I say that if, I don't know what his intent was, the, the remarks he made, in my opinion, clearly inflamed the crowd. And I guess... To, to say a week later, having had an opportunity to think about this, gee, I don't regret anything. What I said was totally appropriate. To me, th- that's that's crazy land. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. Uh, is the president divorced from reality when he says, gee, I, my, my speech was completely and totally appropriate. I bear no responsibility at all for what happened. And, and my response would be, huh? I mean, what, what world are we living in? Regardless of what your intent was, clearly the things you said helped inspire the crowd. Now, I'm not arguing that you aided and abetted, you know, insurrection or whatever. Again, that's a different question. But how can you look at that speech? a week later in the aftermath of what happened and say, gee, I wouldn't have done anything different. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. I guess I, I was a little bit surprised yesterday, and then I kicked myself for being surprised that the president showed absolutely no contrition and, and no acknowledgement at all that, regardless of what his intent was, the, the remarks he made and the things that he had done leading up to his speech last Wednesday, a week ago contributed to, and I'm not saying criminally responsible, somebody else will decide that, but contributed to the chaos that happened at the Capitol. In addition, the fact that he sat around for hours while this was going on without immediately coming out and denouncing this, telling people to stop, to go home, and instead, and even when he made some remarks, it was like, well, we all know that I won in a landslide, and we all understand how badly I've been shafted, but it... it, the fact that you refuse to acknowledge at all that you, you you should not have handled that situation that way, to me, it's just almost, it's, it's head-shaking because, again, whatever the intent was, can't we agree that the effect of those remarks, the effect was just absolutely disastrous? And it's why the president finds himself being impeached for the second time in a year. All right, let's start with Marcus. Marcus, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hey, thanks, Jeff, for taking my call. Uh, You hit it uh, right on the head. And uh, there again, he had the opportunity yesterday, and I was listening to the comments and watching the video to say, hey, you know, this wasn't the correct thing that happened, and, you know, this is not what I meant. But instead, he says, be careful what you wish for. So now... The dog whistle has blown again, Jeff. No, you have troops stationed throughout 50 of the states as far as guarding all of the the federal and government buildings and capitals. He just put out there, be careful what you wish for. This man has no regard for human life or what's about to happen. It's kind of like giving two weeks notice at your job and you don't give a damn. Jeff, 
He does not care. And any Republican that calls up and, and says that this is okay, he gave their dog whistle. Anything, I tell you right now, Jeff, anybody that dies during this, if anything happens during this week and throughout the 50 states of the United States, this man should be held accountable, and he should be held accountable to the fullest extent of the law. Well, Marcus, I mean, I, I want to share a text. Thanks for call. I, I want to share a text. I, Jeff, you cannot blame him for other actions. They're adults, and they make their own decisions. And, and I guess that, that my, my response to the text would be, that's right and that's wrong. Yes, from a criminal perspective, that the people that broke into the Capitol and broke the windows and threw the fire extinguisher at the police officer, yes, they, they are adults. They they made the decision to engage in that behavior, and, and they are ultimately going to be held accountable. At the same time, as we've talked about for decades, words matter. Okay, if you are an elected leader of the country, if you're, and I don't care whether you're a senator or a congressman or a mayor or whatever, you, 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 have, you have to recognize that what you say matters. And when you're faced with a situation where you have a volatile group of people who follow you, some who follow you in almost this with this kind of messiah complex, to to whip them up. Are, did, did you like I say the, the president didn't say go break into the Capitol and and throw fire extinguishers at, at police officers? No, he, he didn't say that. But but clearly his remarks did nothing to try to tamp down the fervor. And I think a reasonable inference from the fact that he sat around without making any comment for so long was that as, as he's watching this play out on TV was that he, at least at first, wasn't that upset with watching what his supporters were, were doing. Now, I don't get I don't know what the end game of all this this was, whether it's playing the martyr or whether it was legitimately thinking, well, maybe they can put pressure on the Republicans. They'll be so scared that they don't they, they decide not to go ahead with the Electoral College stuff, which essentially would have turned that into a coup. I mean, it didn't happen that way. But I, I just look at this and say, with, with days to reflect on this, the best you can come up with is. What was the remark? Well, people thought what I said was totally appropriate. Who in their right mind thought what he said was totally appropriate? Whether you, whether you want to argue it was criminal or not, that's a whole different story. But totally appropriate. Um, hmm. Jeff, Trump did not speak early and firmly to quell the riot because I believe he wanted the uh, insurrection to continue. He wanted to steal a free and fair election through strength. He said to his crowd, I believe that this was what his goal was all around. Um, Jeff, he has no end game. It's just a psychological deficiency. Well, that as I was watching this last week in, in real time, it was what and, and I say this. I say this often as, as we've seen protests slash riots, you know, during the course of the last year in all these different contexts. I, I always say, what what is the end game here? What are the people who broke into the Capitol trying to accomplish? What do they think they're going to accomplish? What are the people who were creating all the destruction in Madison and Kenosha those first couple nights? What do they think they're accomplishing? What what cause are are they advancing um 855-616-1620 jeff i think the president speaks like a mob boss well i there were certainly elements of that in those comments um yesterday jeff yes words do matter um my issue is why have words from the left not mattered over the past four years now see i don't 
Now, now maybe you want to look at, at parts of the media downplaying some of these things, but I, I, I do think, and I always pride myself on trying to be consistent. What I am saying now in the context of Donald Trump was the same thing that I have been saying when you have the riots in that are not being denounced by elected officials and the violence in Seattle and in Minneapolis and in Portland and in Kenosha and in Madison. Um, yeah, I, I think I think that that's a fair argument, but that doesn't change the dynamic that, you know, in, in retrospect, is it that hard to come out and say, you know what, what I said, I think I was I was, you know, wrong. And again, a number of people are are, are talking about the moral equivalency and they're saying, well, I, I don't think what Trump did was any worse than fill in the blank politician who didn't denounce what was going on this summer. That's a fair argument. But it doesn't mean that in retrospect, when you've had a week to think about it, you're the president of the United States and you look at all this carnage that that it's right. I, I don't I'm not sure it would have been possible to have avoided where we are today if the president's reaction had been different. But I will tell you, it would have been a lot different discussion if if the president had not been as inflammatory in addressing that crowd last Wednesday and if while this was going on immediately, once the Capitol was first breached, if the president either traveled to the Capitol or immediately went on television, time on all three networks, saying, I I want people out of the Capitol. Do not do this. Do not break in. Leave. Get out right away. And then not going on to the thing about the election was stolen, just saying, this is not what I condone. If he would have done that right away, uh, maybe the dynamic would have been a little bit different. If in the immediate aftermath of this, he had come out and you know, chastised the people who, who did this and showed genuine contrition for some of his remarks, uh, maybe the outcome would have been different. I don't know, because I understand there's a lot of people out there that just, you know, are, are, are hardcore Trump haters, and maybe this was inevitable. But to say a week later, after having had an opportunity to think about this for a week, gee, um... I, I don't I my remarks were completely and totally appropriate. Um people, whoever those are, have analyzed my speech and words and my final paragraph and everybody thinks it was totally appropriate. Well, I don't know who that everybody is. I'm certainly not one of them. And and maybe just maybe, if for once in his life he could have decided I'm gonna back off instead of this just wreck it Ralph, let's blast ahead, let's not apologize, let's not admit that we were wrong. If just once in his life he would have done that, maybe he wouldn't be going through what he's going through today. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. All right, this is a history lesson and a current events thing. Group producing the show today and always. Do you know what happened yesterday that had not happened for almost 70 years in the United States? Oh, I off, off, See, this off is why, I have this, no idea. This is why you love to come into work because you never know when I'm going to open the microphone and without telling you, ask you some question, put you on the spot and, and see if you know it or not. You, you just love that aspect of the show, don't you? Yes, please end my suffering. <laughs> All right. Here, here, here is actually the deal. And, and this has been lost in the story. Um, yesterday, for the first time in actually 68 years, a woman was put to death by the federal government. Um, it's, you know, I, I, 
a lot of people say, oh, the, the justice system has these biases, and people will say, for example, um, that there's a racial bias and that white people are, are treated differently than black people, and, and there, the, there are elements of that. I will tell you, one of the things that I noticed back in the day when I was um, prosecuting people, I think one of the biggest disparities was, was based on gender. Men treated much differently, and now this is this is when I was doing this day to day than women, and I, and maybe it was because back then most of the judges, not all, but most of the judges were men, and so when they would look out and look at a defendant and 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 they'd see it was a, a woman, they'd think of their daughter or their wife or something like that, and but I that, that was one of the things, and I I cannot tell you how many different cases that we had where there there was there was a difference you know if you have a if you had a bank teller that stole money well the the female bank teller i always thought was much likely to be treated with more likely with kid gloves than the male bank teller that that was that was it and you have i i appreciate that if if you look at you know the the prison system in general the the really awful heinous violent crimes tend to be committed a lot more by men than by women but that's not to say that there are not women who commit horrendous crimes well um the woman's name was Lisa Montgomery and for people who haven't been following this what she she was executed yesterday what she did and it's one of these crimes that kind of sort of shocks conscience in 2004 um, she lived in Kansas, Melbourne, Kansas. Um, she she drove from Kansas to Northwest Missouri, a town of Skidmore, Missouri. And what she was going to do, there was a woman. Her name was Bobby Joe Stinnett, who was, I believe, eight months pregnant at the time. And and the reason and 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 Bobby Joe Stinnett was a was a dog breeder. And so what happened is this Lisa Montgomery came out there and the, the the ostensible purpose was that she was going to adopt a, a dog that had been raised by Bobby Joe Stinnett. Well apparently when she got there and this Bobby Joe was twenty three years old at the time, like I say she was she was pregnant. What happened is instead of adopting the terrier, apparently the plot all along was that, that she was going to kill this would be Lisa Montgomery, was going to murder Bobby Joe Stinnett in cold blood and then cut the baby out of her womb and flee with the baby, which is precisely what she ended up doing. No question at all about her guilt. She has been, again, on on death row, and she's the only woman, I think, that's still on death row. No question at all about her guilt. She was convicted in 2007, and yesterday she became, again, the first woman since Ethel Rosenberg and one other woman who were put to death in 1953. And there's some degree of outrage about this, and I guess, look, I think reasonable people can disagree about the death penalty. I'm... I'm not one of those those people. I guess I think as long as you have a situation where you have the the incredibly heinous acts where there is no question at all of the guilt of, of someone, I, I have no problem at all with administering the death penalty. And in this case, the fact that some people are outraged because it, it's a woman, not a male, my, my not a man, my, my response would be if you have a, a female that commits this incredibly heinous act, that if it was a male who had done the same thing, that they would have qualified for the death penalty. Well, then it seems to me equal justice under the law says the woman should qualify for that as well. All right. 
as we've been talking about. The debate is going on right now in the House of Representatives. The vote should come within the next hour to an hour and a half about whether or not President Trump will become the second the first president in U.S. history to be impeached twice. We all know he was impeached about a year ago um, by the House of Representatives. And and by impeachment, what that means is you, you bring charges, you allege that he should be removed from office. Those are the articles of impeachment. The House votes on that, and all you need is a majority vote. The matter then goes over to the Senate, where there is the trial. So the act of returning the articles of impeachment is the impeachment. Then you have the, the trial, which is held. Um, Bill Clinton, Donald Trump were not convicted at the trial, so they were acquitted. In this particular case, I think everybody believes that the Democrats will vote solidly for impeachment, and there will be some, don't know how many Republicans that will vote for impeachment, so the matter will then go over to the Senate. Mitch McConnell, who is the leader in the Senate, has all, the Senate's not in session, he's already said that there is not going to be a trial in the Senate until after the inauguration of Joe Biden. Now, the, the Senate, there, there's no clock that runs other than, I think the, the language is that there should be a prompt, uh, a prompt trial. But even if you're going to have a trial, you have to, you have to allow people time to prepare, et cetera. And given the fact that Joe Biden is inaugurated next Wednesday, that means that there's just n- flat out not enough time. It might even be that Nancy Pelosi, if there's articles of impeachment, that they don't transmit them right away. That's entirely possible as well. But regardless of how you look at it, the a trial will not be held until Donald Trump is already out of office. And it might be that that trial is not held for 30 or 60 days because some people are saying, you know, we we. We want to let Biden get a chance to have his cabinet appointees confirmed, et cetera, et cetera, opposed, as opposed to taking a week for a trial. So given, now hear me out here. I understand some of you are saying, oh, that, that's appalling. Mitch McConnell should have the Senate back in session tomorrow. They should get this done. And by five o'clock tomorrow afternoon, Trump should be removed from office. I understand some of you might be saying that, but we have to live in the real world. And the real world is that is not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Um, I don't know if there's enough Republican votes to actually impeach President Trump, either before or after he he leaves office. That's going to be something that we'll see. But given the fact that any trial in the Senate isn't going to occur until after he's already out of office, my question becomes to you, is it worth, what is the point? Is there a point to going through this exercise. If the exercise is designed to remove a president from office because of high crimes or misdemeanors, if that can't be accomplished until he's already out of office, does does it become futile? Are we spinning our wheels with this and again creating more divisiveness given the fact that there's a lot of people I don't know if it's a majority, but there are undoubtedly millions of people in this country who view what's going on now in Washington as nothing more than yet another witch hunt. Does it make sense to proceed with this? Now, I'm the guy that argued and has been arguing for the last week that a censure resolution that I think would have broad support in both the House and Senate essentially accomplishes everything that an impeachment would accomplish, less controversial perhaps, easier to affect, and something that you could do right away. 
All right, 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If you can't do the impeachment till after he's out of office, what's the point? 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss in a moment. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Okay, now, with some of this stuff, we have to live in the real world. The real world says that even if he, if the president is impeached today in the House of Representatives, there's not enough time in the Senate to have a trial. So any trial of Donald Trump would come after he's left office. So I guess the question then becomes, given how divisive that is going to be, what a distraction that is going to be for the country, because President Trump still has a lot of his supporters, and the fact that he's already out of office, does it make sense to go ahead? Will that, and that's, it's interestingly, that's I think one of the reasons that uh, Joe Biden has been silent on, on on this whole situation of impeachment because he recognizes it is going to be a distraction um, if this is happening in his first 100 days. Okay, let's talk to Chuck in Manitowoc. Hi, Chuck. Hi, Jeff. How are you? Good. What do you think? The, I think they should go forward with it. Uh, they don't even have to do the impeachment right away. The way I understood it is they have this whole congressional session to do it so the next two years they could actually impeach him the way i understood i, you I mean don't in know the house of Rep- well not. but as a practical matter they're going to impeach him today the articles of impeachment are going to be returned today then they can sit on him for a while before they take him over to the senate but i guess t- tell me why let, let's let's assume that he cannot be removed from office until he's out of office what do you think they gain okay. by doing the impeachment he one he cannot ever run for federal office again Two, he loses his pension. No, he doesn't. Three, he loses. No, no he doesn't. I that, he that's, pension. No, no, that that that's not right. He the only um, the only if if he were to be removed from office before he leaves office, he would lose his pension. But if his term expires or he resigns, he keeps his pension and he keeps all those benefits. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's how it works. He he does keep all the benefits yep. too. Okay, that I misunderstood that then. And well, thank you for the clarification. Yeah, no, it, but it, but but yes, right. The, the, as part of the impeachment, there could be a a separate uh, corollary which would say that he um, he couldn't run for office again. So you you think you think that in and of itself is is worth doing that? Yes, I do. Okay. I mean, you, you talk about you talk about division and, and everything in the country. I mean, this has been going on since 2008 when McConnell first brought up making Obama a one-term president. Right. I mean, this has been going on for a long time. I don't think it's nothing's going to get settled within the next hundred days. Yeah. Well, no. Th- no. Thanks. No. I mean, that that's it. And 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 I do want to let me just kind of double back. And and I'm I'm willing to be corrected, but I'm I'm pretty sure I'm. I'm a matter of fact, I'm pretty sure I'm, I'm positive on this. Um, one of the if if he if he were impeached, he I. I believe he can be impeached even if he's after if he's left office. That hasn't happened with presidents before, but the precedent is that um, you could have federal judges, for example, who've been convicted of crimes, um, who are impeached after they've left office. So what that means is that they can't run again. My understanding of the rules with regard to pensions and things like that is, if he once once he resi- if he were to resign. Or his term expires, that pension vests. If he were removed from office, that is convicted before 
um, he the, the, he is impeached. Um, he, he gets to keep it. That, that's that's my he gets to keep those benefits because those are issued under a separate law. Now, I guess it's possible that Congress could come into session and, and try to modify that law. But at least the way I understand it, if you do this process after he leaves office, he, he gets the benefits. You could prohibit him from running again. My question about that always has been, and I understand some of you disagree with me, I just don't see him as being, I don't see him as being a, a a viable political force. I think the Trump brand is so just incredibly damaged that it's not going to make any difference one way or the other. The argument, I guess, would be if you don't impeach him, does that mean that, you know, you're not expressing your displeasure with the stuff that went on? That's why I've thought all along, and I argued this a year ago, that that censure was a much better approach that would have widespread bipartisan support. I believed that a year ago, and and I continue to believe it now. By the way, I'm not sure. If you have a trial a month or two from now, you still need 66 senators, right, to convict. I'm not sure you're going to get 66. If you went with a motion of censure, I guarantee you that you'd have 66. Let's take a break. This is Jeff Wagner on WGMJ. Yeah, what we were talking about, I I think early on, there were all these posts that were out there, and that was, a lot of people were unclear about what the effect of impeachment is. And I'm, matter of fact, I'm I'm just looking at some, some analysis of this. The Constitution says, judgment in cases of impeachment shall not extend further than to removal from office and disqualification to hold or enjoy any other uh, office of, of honor. So it, it, the impeachment and the conviction affects removal. Most of the benefits that presidents get when they leave office, there's a lifetime pension of about $200,000, annual travel allowance of up to a million dollars. Those are enumerated in a, in a law that was passed in 1958. And the law says Those benefits apply to presidents whose service in office shall have terminated other than by removal pursuant to, again, the impeachment trial. So there's a separate law that says you get your pension. There's a separate law that, and I guess I I know this sounds stupid to say for for you and me, but you you wonder with Donald Trump, $200,000, you know, he's not taking his salary now. You know, what does that $200,000 mean? What is the million dollar travel allowance? But the bottom line is that that is separate. He gets that independent of the the impeachment process. If he were convicted, um, then you could pull the plug on that. But given the fact, if, if he were to, for example, resign, he would keep those benefits. Richard Nixon resigned, and, and he kept those benefits. That's the, the way that, that kind of law works. So the, the one impact of the post-indictment, of the, of the you know, the, the post-presidency impeachment trial is the fact that in a separate proceeding, if he's convicted, the Senate, by a majority vote, could also decide that he's, he's not entitled to run for office again. And I understand there's a stigma that goes along with that. My point is, is that really, does that really accomplish anything um, as a practical matter? Because, I mean, does anybody really think that Donald Trump, if he runs for president again, that he's going to be a viable force? I mean, really. Back for more, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 
so very glad to have you with us. All right. We've been talking about the, the rollout of the vaccine. And let's be honest here. The, the way out of this pandemic is to reach a point where enough people have been vaccinated so that there is a degree of herd immunity so that we can start going about our, our normal lives. The problem is there's not enough vaccine to go around to give everybody who wants uh, two doses what they need. That's why people have been wrestling. We talked about this yesterday. Uh, initially, the recommendation and the thinking was, all right, let's let's identify people to inoculate and then let's hold back vaccines so they can get the second shot. Well, then people are saying, okay, well, there, there's not enough to go around. So they've changed the rules and now more people are going to get the first shot and we're going to hope we can produce enough vaccine to give people a second dose of a, that vaccine in a timely fashion. Okay, that's all well and good. But it still doesn't change the question of who gets in line first. Now, in Wisconsin, the initial rollout has essentially been that you've had um, health care workers who've gone to the, the front of, of the line and people who have been particularly vulnerable, including like people who are living in nursing homes and things of the like. All right, so we're, we're getting through that. So now the question is, where do you go next? And... Um, According to the plan in Wisconsin, here, here's, here's the deal. Um, next goes to police officers and non-paramedic firefighters. They can start getting their shots next week. All right. Then here's where it becomes interesting. The next people in line are K-12 and higher education instructors, preschool ch- staff, child care workers. Then people 70 or older, not in nursing homes, then correction workers and inmates, correction workers and inmates, and then um, people in group homes or who otherwise participate in state programs for people with disabilities and the frail and elderly. And then, interestingly, mink farmers, (laughs) because COVID-19 outbreaks have occurred on mink farms and pose a biosecurity risk. That's only a few hundred people. But, But interestingly, what they've decided to do is they've decided to put, for example, uh, teachers and prisoners ahead of older people. Now, there is a huge amount of controversy, and I don't know that there's any one right answer to this. Our number is 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And I understand that people are wrestling with these things. I, I obviously, I had no issue with the, the healthcare workers, you know, going to the top of the list. Certainly people who were in nursing homes. And then the first responders, the police and uh, the paramedics and things like that. But at that point in time, the question becomes where your priorities are. My argument would be that if you're trying to prioritize this, What you have to do as a starting point is you have to look at the people that if they contracted COVID as a group, who is most likely to have a bad result? And and would that be a 65-year-old or 68-year-old woman with diabetes, or would it be a 32-year-old teacher? And the answer is uh, clearly... That, that, and look, and I understand, 25-year-old people can get COVID and can die. 45-year-old people can get COVID and die. But one of the things that we know 
is that the old the the number one indicator besides the underlying health conditions the number one indicator of a bad result is age that that's that's the factor it, it's age and until we have enough vaccine my argument would be the priority should be older people that is you know get, get people that are 60 and older 65 and older because actually if you if you look at it the the mortality rate for people you know in 60 to 70 is a lot greater than under 60 and then the mortality rate for people 70 and older is greater than under 60 but to me it makes the most sense to say let let's go with an age-based thing and i'm not saying the teachers aren't worthy of this inmates well, okay, they're they're confined, but you know they're there because of stuff that they did. But I think the priority needs to be based on age, and my argument for that is because, again, what we want to do, as long as the vaccine is scarce, don't we want to administer the doses in such a way that guarantee that the people who are most likely to have really bad outcomes that that they're the ones that are getting the protection first? Our number, and nobody wants to get COVID. I I, I understand that. But if you've got a limited supply, how do you prioritize these things? And my argument would be you do it based on age, 855-616-1620, after you've gotten that through the healthcare workers, after you've gotten through the nursing home people, after you've gotten through the emergency responders. That point in time, I think the primary thing should be, should be age. Because like I say, a 67-year-old person with diabetes, if they get COVID, they're much more likely to have a bad result than, you know, somebody who's 45 years old, even if they are a quote-unquote essential worker. 855-616-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. What do you think? Let's start with Sue in Cedarburg. Hi, Sue. Hi. I am um, 77 years old. I have diabetes, and so if I get COVID, I'm, I'm in trouble. There is no question about it. Therefore, I think I need to be before the third grader or the seventh grader who doesn't get it. And I have grandkids, and yes, I would like them to be safe. But if they get it, nothing happens to them, you know, and and something will happen if I get it. And my husband is a cancer patient, and he's seventy-seven. Well, well, we you need guys, to be well, well you're covered, Sue. So, so you're you're in that classification because they, they said over over seventy, you're you're going to be one of the priorities. So so you are set, and and I I agree with you. I mean, I think you should be seventy-seven years old, and if your husband's got an underlying health condition, you guys should be, in my opinion, at the the front of that line. No question about it. Right, and where is that line? Everyone talks about, you know, the line. Where do you go get these things? I mean, there's nothing in the pharmacy, and you can't go at the hospital. Where does that line? Where is that existing? Well, right. I mean, th- that, that's. I mean, thanks for see. Now, that's that's the other question. I mean, the, how, how do you end up getting these? And you know, what what's the rollout going to be? And and where do you end up going? And all I can tell you on that one is to kind of stay tuned. But you're 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 going to be you're you're going to be taken care of. But I guess you know my point would be we have to figure out you know what's fair. And I'm. I, I understand. For example, if you got a 35-year-old school teacher, I, I, that, that is an essential thing. I am not diminishing the value and the importance of teachers. All right. And I think we got to get kids back into the classroom. I think that's important. But at the same time, I think that what we have to do is base these decisions until we have enough vaccine for everybody. We have to prioritize it based on 
who is most likely to have to be hospitalized statistically or die, you know, if they get COVID. And I guess I, I would look at that and I would say, all right, I, let, it's based on age. That's the, that's the single determining factor. Why wouldn't we administer it? 855-616-1620. We continue the conversation in a moment. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the Acura Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We're being overwhelmed with text. Jeff, can you just verify before my head explodes that a prison inmate is going to get the vaccine before me? I am a thirty-three-year-old restaurant manager. Yes. Yes, I can, in fact, verify that. I have in my hands the plan approved yesterday by the Vaccine Distribution Subcommittee of the State Disaster Medical Advisory Committee. And um, it still has to be approved. But, yeah, others in Phase B would include um, K-12 and higher education instructors, preschool staff, child care workers, people 70 and older, not in nursing homes, corrections workers, and inmates Prisoners infected with COVID-19 in the past 90 days may be asked to wait since they are assumed to have temporary immunity. I can't make that up. Now, I am I, not. Yes, and if your head is exploding, I apologize. But, yes, that, that is it. Prison in, if you're a 33-year-old restaurant manager, yes, the prison inmate is going to get the vaccine before you do. My point is I just think that the priority should be based on age. And, and that's, that I guess is it. Um, Jeff, I am 82, but I can control my activities and do not need to be out and about. Teachers are being asked to be out in public, so they have greater exposure. They should be first in line with essential workers. That's what Jerry says. No, I'm sorry. I just, I, I disagree with that. And this isn't saying that teachers shouldn't be getting the vaccine. But the truth is, a 35-year-old, I mean, why should a teacher why should a teacher go ahead of a, a 35-year-old, I don't know, cashier at, at a Walmart, an essential business, who's been interacting with the public all the time? I mean, that, see, that, that's the thing. If you say, well, you hate the teachers. No, no, that's not it. But there's all sorts of other people who've been essential workers who are on the front lines, who are interacting with hundreds of people all in a in a less controlled setting than a school setting on, on a daily basis. So why does a teacher get a priority over, again, the cashier at the grocery store or whatever? My argument is if you've got a limited amount of vaccine, what you have to do is you have to, again, look at the results. If somebody is going to get COVID, who is the most likely person to get the bad result? And the statistics show overwhelmingly that that's based on on age. And I guess I continue to believe that should be what the priority is after you've taken care of the frontline health workers, after you've taken care of the, the people in the medical field. But you know, why do we give teachers the priority over other frontline essential workers and put them all ahead? I mean, if you're going to say it should be essential workers instead of people who are more vulnerable to die, okay, I, I, I get it. Then, then we can have that discussion. But, I mean, inmates, school teachers, and no, this isn't anti-teacher. It's just if you've got a limited amount of vaccine, don't we want to protect the people who are most likely to die from this? Daniel in New Berlin. Hi, Daniel. Hi, Jeff. What do you think? Um, so I was thinking, actually, like that text message that you just received from that 
82 year old woman. Um, I was thinking that the way we've been going about this by going for the elderly first is kind of flawed just because of kind of like what she said. Um, the teachers, the essential workers are the ones interacting with the most people on a regular basis. Whereas when you're elderly, yes, you are more likely to have severe adverse effects from the virus, but they don't have jobs to go to. They're not going anywhere to work or okay, to okay, okay Daniel. I want to stop. I want to stop you there for a second because there are. Yeah. Trust me on this. There are a ton of people in their their mid sixties who are listening to you and me right now who who are working who are, are at all sorts of places. I mean, it, it's it's not like. If you're, you know, in your 60s, it's not like you're kind of sitting around isolated in this little cocoon. I mean, you are out and about. I understand that, but I think the priority should be bringing kids back to school, you know, medical employees, essential workers. I understand there's a lot of people working in their 60s, and I think those people should be also somewhat prioritized over the, you know, very elderly who are pretty much confined to their homes, especially when... We're trying to go for this big, broad base of people. We're just saying, let's okay, take well, the elderly right away. Okay. Well, why don't why we, we? Let me ask you. Let me ask you this. Let, let me ask you this. You, you you were talking about then essential workers. Should we put uh, cashiers at the grocery stores and the stockers in the grocery stores and, and all the the other essential workers? Should we put them ahead of the people like in their sixties? Um, I would say yes, because they're the people who, as a necessity of their life, have to go out and interact with people, which, although as a younger person, they might not be as susceptible to the more deadly effects, they have a much greater risk of actually getting coronavirus in the first place. Well, I mean, I mean, thanks for calling. I mean, I guess everybody that's out and about has a, a risk of getting coronavirus. I think it's it's naive to assume that because somebody's, for example, 62 that they're 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 not out and about and and interacting what we do know from a reality-based perspective is somebody who's 62 statistically who gets COVID-19 is more likely to have a bad result than somebody who's 42 who's more likely to have a bad result than somebody who's 22 and again nobody nobody wants this in a perfect world everybody gets it but I guess my question and my problem would be if I I think you got to follow the science. That's what I've said all along. And and if our goal, as far as flattening the curve, which is what we have talked about for forever, trying to reduce the number of hospitalizations, trying to reduce the number of deaths until everybody can get vaccinated, if the goal in flattening the curve is to protect the people that are most likely to end up being in the hospital or the people that are most likely to end up in the morgue, well, then don't you have to prioritize it based on age? And again, I, I understand that you can have somebody who's 42 years old who gets it and you can have somebody who's 64 years old who gets it and has no, you know, no symptoms and somebody who's 42 who gets it and has a very bad result. So, I mean, I know that that's there, but if we're looking at the science, if we're looking at the math, that tells you that age as well as underlying, you know, health conditions, those are the major factors that are going to result in hospitalizations, are going to result in deaths. And that's why I'm just arguing, I, I think age needs to be the, the top priority beyond just the policy decision. And again, I, I don't even want to get into, yes, the 33-year-old restaurant manager doesn't get the vaccine, the inmate does. That That's, from a talk radio perspective, that's what we would call low-hanging fruit. Um, Marion in Germantown. Marion, you're on WTMJ. 
Yes. Um, you're talking about age, but you have never mentioned my age. I'm 95, and I really feel that I shouldn't have priority as far as age because how much more time do I have to live? And uh, I'm living right now. I have a good quality life, and um, I've had cancer. I have a heart condition, and I think it's when the Lord wants to take you. Have you been va- Marianne, have, you're eligible. Have you been vaccinated yet? I'm wondering. No, I I haven't heard where to go, when to go, but I'm not in any hurry to get it. Okay. Well, I mean, Marianne, th- first of all, thanks I, thanks for the call. Uh, and I, I I guess here, here's the here's the thing about that. I I understand the spirit of your remarks, but I'm not going to be the guy that says, okay, let's take people over X age and let's kind of put them on that that ice flow and let's kind of like just kind of push them out there. No, I mean I. I think what we have to do is we have to prioritize. Again, I think the priority needs to be, and I know I'm repeating myself, the people that, if they get it, are most likely to die or have to be hospitalized. And, you know, and I, I appreciate it. It's great that, you know, people have lived great lives and wonderful lives and things like that. And that, that's, that, that, that's well and good. But I want you to be, I want you around for another five or 10 years because, again, statistically, the, the odds are that somebody who's 95 years old who gets it, it's much more likely to be something that results in hospitalization or death than somebody who's 32 and gets it. And so that's why I, I want, I, I think we have to prioritize it among the people that are the most vulnerable, um, you know, period. And I guess, you know, Marion, I don't know what your situation is, if you're in a nursing home or whatever, but I'd certainly, I'd encourage you to at least talk to somebody about the the merits of this. Um, Jeff, Matt tells us that somebody who is 75 is four times as likely to die as somebody who is 35. However, Matt also tells us that someone who is leaving their home every day and interacting with dozens or even hundreds of people is significantly more likely to attract the virus. Yeah, but, but if they attract the virus, the, the odds are the result is not going to be as bad. And what about the people who are 60 who, who leave their homes? I mean, I, I, this, this idea that, gee, if, if you're... If you're over the age of 50 or you're 60 or more, you, you're not going out of your homes and you're not, you know, engaging in, as, as essential workers. I, that's, that's not reality. All right. Lots of interesting stuff coming up on the program. Don't go anywhere. This is Jeff Wagner. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. There was... Um, in, in Melissa's news report, there, there was one thing that, that made me laugh, um, or at least smile a little bit. We were doing the report on the Mega Millions and the Powerball thing. We're going to talk about that in just a second. But there was a guy, and they said, well, but what would you do if you won that $550 million? He said, oh, I, I'd, I'd pay off the house, and I'd buy a couple cars, and I'd buy a boat. And then, kind of like as an afterthought, I said, I, I might give some to charity, too. And I, I had to laugh because I, I know you, you can just tell the guy, the guy knows he's talking to somebody in the media. And he's like listing all the stuff that he do with the, the, the dough. And then, oh, I be, better say I, I should give something to charity or something like that along the way. That, that, yes, that wasn't my first thought or my second thought or my third. But after I bought the boat and after I bought the house and after I paid my taxes and after I bought all this other stuff, yeah, if there's any left over, I might give it to charity. But but this this is always an intriguing time. And I, I want to discuss this with you because 
I understand, and, and I know how human nature is, but I, I understand how people are when these lotteries get to be like stupid money. But at the same time, it's interesting to me that you have people who would never think of buying a lottery ticket when the prize is $10 million, who are now rushing out to buy lottery tickets when the, the prize is you know $750 million. For example, the, the Mega Millions, the, the odds of winning Mega Millions about 303 million to one. Okay. So right now, uh, the next Mega Millions drawing is going to be, um, Friday. So the, it's worth, uh, about $750 million and it, it's going to go up probably from there. Tonight, Powerball is going to draw and right now it's 550 million, which is the ninth highest in the game's history. So in order to win either jackpots, players have to buy tickets with numbers matching the numbers on the six ping pong balls. Um, Mega millions, five white balls can be any number between one and 70. The gold mega ball is numbered one to 25. Power ball is a little bit different. But now you've you've got these enormous jackpots that are out there. And the media is focused on this. You've got the news reports that are going to the convenience stores, watching people buy all this. And again, I understand... If you're a regular lottery player, and I know that there are people who do this, or there's groups that get together every week, and you know everybody throws in a couple bucks, and you go out and you buy some tickets. I now to me, and this comes from the perspective of somebody who's been known to place a bet from time to time. I, I think buying a lottery ticket is kind of akin to, you know, sitting down in the parking lot, pulling a twenty dollar bill out of your wallet or your purse, and then lighting it on fire. That that's just how I am, you know, with with the lotteries. But I. I understand that people view this differently and they view it as fun and they like to dream. But, you know, what ends up happening is you're, the chances are you're, you're not going to win. I mean, it's 303 million to one. And yes, you know, somebody's got to win at some point in time. But, you know, the odds aren't great that it's going to be you. But I do think it's interesting that you have people who won't, won't buy that ticket at 5 million or 10 million or 20 million, but 550 million. I'm there. I'm all in. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, I want to lighten it up for this segment. And I'd like to talk to some of you who buy lottery tickets or are going to buy a Powerball or have been buying the Mega Millions. Do you do it all the time or do you only wait for, wait for it to get big? And if so, you know, what, why is that? I mean, I don't know about you, but Hey, if I win $20 million, trust me, I'm going to pay my taxes, and that's going to be a life-changing thing. I don't need to wait for it to get to be $550 million, but yet there's a lot of people who, who do. They're not going to do it to 550 And I hate to be the, the bearer of bad tidings, but the reality is, you know, while somebody has to win, the odds are $330 million to one that you're not going to be the one that wins. So why do we still spend that money and buy the ticket? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If you're somebody that's participating in these lotteries or going to, my question is, is why? What is it that motivates you to do it? And do you only wait till the numbers get really, really big? For me, if I believed in the lotteries, I'd, I'd be doing it regularly. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss in a moment. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner. 
I love human psychology and what makes us, what motivates us to do certain things. And, and you're seeing one of these classic things going on with the lotteries now. The Mega Millions and the Powerball, they're, they're both up over like $500 million. And so you've got people that are flocking to play them. And it's just so intriguing to me because, okay, I, I would never think of playing the lottery. I'm throwing my money away when the prize is $20 million, but $500 million, I'll, I'll, I'll play. It's like, like I don't know about you, but $20 million would be life-changing for me. And if my wife's listening, she's going, yeah, it would be life-changing for both of us. Let's start with um, AY in Fond du Lac. Good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. Good afternoon. How are you? I'm good. What do you think? Yeah. Uh, I'm thinking, I mean, for me, it's more, uh, you know, I buy it when when it's this high or close. I don't, I don't usually buy lottery tickets. But for me, it's more about, you know, even that little butterfly and... In yeah. your stomach when it's close to the drawing, just just a little life in there. That's all I know. I'm not going to win. Well, no, okay, right. Okay, so, no, I get it. So it, it's yeah. like it's like the dream. So you've got that that those few moments, and, and you know intellectually that you're you're not going to win. You're not going to be the one. But at least for a few minutes, for two bucks or ten bucks or whatever, you you've bought a few minutes of being able to dream. Hey, I could buy that private island. I could buy that that airplane. So th- that's what it's worth to you, huh? Exactly, exactly. It gets the gears going a little bit. Like, oh. I would buy this house, I would buy... <laughs> yeah, it's good. Oh, okay, all right, but we'll, see, let's work with me on that one. All right, so so that's the motivation. Yes. I get it, 550, 750 million. All right, just the prospect of winning $20 million wouldn't get those gears going as well. <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing is, I guess, if I if I... If I if I bought it, you know, every time it was twenty or or, or something like that, I guess it wouldn't have that same right kind of okay. kind of feel. Okay. Yeah. I, I got it. no. Thanks. I, I, I'm, I'm teasing. Thanks. For, I mean, I, and I understand. I'm, I'm just kind of teasing, but I'm. I, I, it is always. It's it's an interesting psychological thing to me because again, I I I, under, I understand exactly what he's talking about. That little bit of of rush you get when you're. Yeah, I mean, I, look, I, I bet on horse races. I, you know, when I used to go to Vegas uh, before, you know, back when Vegas was Vegas, you could do things. I mean, I, I understand that little bit of rush you get when, hey, you're betting on the horses and your horse is running or things like that, or you're, you're you've got the, hey, I think I'm going to win the basketball game and cash my bet. I, I get it. I mean, I understand that little bit of a thrill. I'm just intrigued that to me. You know, a twenty million dollar jackpot would would give me just as much of a thrill uh, as as the five hundred million dollar jackpot. Um, Joe in Waukesha. Joe, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, good afternoon, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Yeah, I'm with. I, I understand playing the lottery is just like burning money, but much like your last caller, I'm a dreamer and I'm a realist. So my cutoff is three hundred and fifty million dollars, and that's simply so that. My lottery budget for the year is about 12 bucks, <laughs> as opposed to, yes, yeah, $10 million would be life-changing money, but I'd be playing every week if that was the case. And, you know, I, I only want to burn up 12 bucks a year instead of hundreds of dollars a year. <laughs> okay, so, are, so are, you, are you in on this now, or do you play the Powerball or the Mega Millions? I've got my I've got my tickets for this drawing uh, for both of them. Yeah, okay. absolutely. But only if I won for each. Right. Um, I'm not I'm not the person who's going to spend ten bucks on on a now, on a single lottery. And, and, and this this will date me because it shows how long it's been since I bought a lottery ticket. They're two bucks now. It used to be a dollar, but they're all they're two bucks now, right? 
That's correct. Yeah, I'm not uh-huh. sure when that changed over. Five, okay. ten years ago, maybe? Okay, so yeah, yeah. It's, been, it's been a while. So, okay, well, look, I, I want you to know, Joe, I'm pulling for you. And, and and if you happen to have that winner, will, will you remember your friends? Will you remember the guys that like like gave you some entertainment and stuff over the years? And just you know, just 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 keep a fella in mind if you hit that that, yeah. that five hundred fifty million. <laughs> Thanks for the call. I appreciate it, Joe. Well, and I don't even want a million dollars. Maybe just we'll, we'll meet for a cocktail or something. I'll take a, a nice steak dinner or something, you know, at one of the great restaurants in Waukesha. It's 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 just it's kind of interesting. Now I've okay, group producing the show today and always. You do you buy these? Are you going to participate? No, I I think it was gosh maybe five, six, seven, eight years ago when there was something similar to this. Uh, the jackpot. I mean, the amount, and I bought one, but obviously didn't win. And it's 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 not even a thought that that occurs in my head. <laughs> it's it's so it's you're you're gonna let it go now. Okay, now that we are having this conversation, I I'm trying to think. I, I guess now that it is front of mind, trying to think what I have to do this afternoon. I've had a really long day so far. If if on the way home I stop at a place, and there's a lottery ticket. That that's available, just just to say I did it. I, I might buy one of each. I, that if, if I stop at a place, am I going to go out of my way? No, probably not. But by the way, just like Joe, I'm pulling for you. If you're one of these people participating, I'm uh, I, I I'm participating. Okay, here let's go. We got a ton of text on this, as you might expect. Jeff, I just had this conversation with a friend the other day. Um, no doubt, if you're thinking only about yourself that the $20 million is life-changing. But if you're considering what kind of impact you could truly have on many good causes in the world, $20 million isn't going to do it. Maybe it's worth the dream when the number gets to $500 million. Well, I, I don't know. I, I think there's a number of charities that I support that if they thought they were going to get, okay, so you win $20 million, you, you pay tax on that. Let, let's see, you take as a lump sum, you pay tax on that, so you're, you're down to $10 million. I don't know. I, I think there's, I don't know, if, if if my minister is listening and, you know, Jeff, you won $20 million and I'm in line for a million, I, I you know, would they rather be in line for $500 million? Yes, but I don't think that they'd be... Um, I don't think they'd be saying um, th- this whole thing. Uh, Jeff, we buy both Powerball and Mega Millions tickets. We usually buy $6 worth of each when the jackpots get over $100 million because who can live on less than $100 million, right? Um, <laughs> well, you know, you, you've got that there. Jeff, I won't buy a ticket because I'm afraid I would win and it would ruin my life. couple of million and I could still be me. <laughs> well, it's, I don't know. I think I'd be willing to, I'd be willing to take that risk. I guess it's just, uh, it's just, I, I, I mean, I, and I understand people who are the regular purchasers of this. Jeff, statistically speaking, you're more likely to win when there's less players. That being said, you bet I'm putting 10 bucks on both Powerball and Mega Millions this week. Um, Jeff, I used to play it more often when tickets were a buck a throw, but at $2 a ticket now, we're talking about throwing away real money. Um, okay, Jeff. Quite honestly, I forget about the lottery until it gets hyped up. Well, I, actually, that's part of it, too. I just... I do it. I do it as well. If I, I guess, would I be more likely to do it if I had a routine? For example, if every morning, 
and I know there you you might be this person. You know, every morning there's people that stop off at the local you know stop and go convenience store for a cup of coffee and a donut, and you know they're, they're selling the lottery tickets there. If I had, and it just kind of becomes a routine. If um, I I had that, maybe I'd be more likely to do it. Now I it's only when I I think about it uh, that I do it. All right, so today the drawing is at nine o'clock tonight. Well, okay, if if I happen to stop off somewhere, I will buy a Powerball ticket. Maybe I'll, okay, maybe I'll even buy five, ten bucks. That would be my limit. I'd buy ten bucks, even though you only need two bucks to win. So that will be one of the indicators, grew. If if all of a sudden, about like 10.30 tomorrow morning, you, you hear that something's happened, Jeff's not coming in, and he's not sick, you know that I was one of those people that hit it. I would not count on it. I'm planning on being here tomorrow. All right, when we come back, we're going to find out what John and Melissa have on their minds.